Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 16th of July, 2022, Hong Kong Stories Podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. The world has not been having an easy time of it in recent years, but if there's one thing we've learned, it's that we're very affected by the people around us. I mean, you can keep yourself to yourself as much as you like, but sooner or later, there'll come a time when you need to deal with the other people who inhabit this green and blue planet. This week, as we wander the sweltering streets of Hong Kong, we'll be listening to a story from Leslie about a time she came into close contact with her community. After Leslie, we'll re-listen to a story from Sharvia about maybe a little bit more contact than he was prepared for. Before we get to today's stories, though, a huge and heartfelt thanks goes out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We hear you, Hong Kong, and we are listening. Thanks go out to our overseas listeners as well, particularly to listeners in Sapporo in Japan this week, Ever in Belgium, and Santiago in Chile. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. There are a few workshops up and we've already been privileged to hear a couple of different stories from members of our community. Keep them coming, Hong Kong. They are worth hearing. We have a tentative show in September 2022. Just waiting to hear back from a venue before we announce it. When the details are finalized, they'll be up on the website, hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with the story, which was first told at the 2021 Hong Kong International Literary Festival, here is Leslie. This story happened in Hong Kong, July 2017, a Monday just after five o'clock actually. The lift doors opened and I stepped out onto the marble foyer which that day had been covered in a thin plywood. That plywood disguised a small step down. My brain didn't recognize the step. My eyes saw a flat floor. That step, no more than 10 centimeters, was my undoing. The unexpected drop down made me stumble and off kilter, I staggered and spun. And that's when I heard a crack. I thought it was the wooden floor. It wasn't. It was the sickening noise of breaking bones. I was on the floor. I looked down at my right leg and I couldn't see my foot because it was completely twisted round and facing in the wrong direction. I quickly diagnosed myself and yelled, help, I've broken my leg. The building guards came running. They phoned an ambulance, and I was quickly on my way to A&E at Rutungi Hospital. And as I lay in the back of that ambulance, whizzing through the streets of Hong Kong, blue lights flashing, sirens on, the thought in my head was, how am I going to cope on my own? For the first time in my life, I was living on my own. How am I going to do those simple domestic things a human person needs? Shop, shower, cook, make cups of tea. Maybe I'd need to be looked after. This was an unfamiliar feeling. In the midst of all these questions running around in my head, I found my phone and quite calmly 
text my son and a WhatsApp group known as the Shenanigan Sisters. <laughs> I have fallen. I have broken my leg. I'm in an ambulance. My son and one of those Shenanigan Sisters seemed to appear as if by magic into A&E. Their familiar faces calmed me down. They chatted to me, held my hand and distracted me while all the hubbub of A&E went on around us. I went off to x-ray. The diagnosis was worse than I thought. I had dislocated my right ankle and that twist had resulted in multiple breaks of my lower leg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That resulted in 10 days confined to a hospital bed. I had two lots of surgery. Those bedpans and bed baths were no fun. But my spirits were kept up by visits from the Shenanigan sisters and many other kindly folk who brought me treats like pret salads, which was a blessed relief from hospital food. And once the surgery part was over, I was in the hands of a physiotherapist who wanted me to walk and teach me the basics of walking on two crutches. It was a massive effort just standing upright after lying down for 10 days, but over the next couple of days, with encouragement, I made it along to the hospital corridor and up and down a flight of stairs. And that was the test. That was enough for the surgeon to discharge me. I could go home. As I sat on the edge of that hospital bed, getting all my stuff together and fixing that plastic boot on my swollen leg, I couldn't help thinking that the hardest part was in front of me. Walking with crutches means you can't do anything with your hands. It was my leg that was injured, but my hands were being used to keep me upright. Tears came. How was I going to manage? How was I going to do those simple things? Cook, shop, shower, make cups of tea. Maybe I would need looking after I pulled myself together and put a brave face on as a friend arrived to push me in a wheelchair from ward to hospital car park and to her car, and she drove me home. We got there. I swung my legs around and gingerly lowered myself onto the pavement. This was the first time walking on crutches outside the hospital. It was scary. I was wobbly. And I wasn't really quite prepared of the effort it took to go from the car into my own building, up the lift, through the door and onto the sofa. But with help, I made it. I suppose I could have congratulated myself that I made it to the sofa in one piece. But in my head, I'm just thinking, how am I going to get back to normal? I need a cup of tea. My son and his girlfriend were my first visitors. They helped me settle in. They put a chair under my leg to keep my leg elevated as the doctor ordered and placed a cup of tea in my hands. And when I got the call from my daughter to say she'd booked her flight from Switzerland back to Hong Kong and she'd be coming to stay with me, I shed a few more tears of relief. But there was a four-day window between my daughter arriving and me being discharged from hospital. And one of those shenanigan sisters, without specifically being asked, realized that I would need someone with me, and she moved in. And we had four days of trial and error while we worked out between us how I could shower, how I could maneuver myself around my flat, how I could get over the 
enormous step from my front door to the corridor and out to the lift. And she did that by placing a chair halfway along the corridor and then I'd, I'd make it to the chair and then rest and then she'd move the chair further away, coax me along into the lift and out to the garden area for my daily exercise. I was exhausted, but I was recovering. My daughter arrived with a plan to stay for three weeks and each day life got a little bit easier. She accompanied me to my appointments, the all-important hairdresser, and then the regular visits to the doctor. She, she helped me get in and out of Hong Kong taxis and I was still precariously wobbly on my crutches. Um, she helped me negotiate those narrow aisles of welcome until I could manage on my own. And I continued to have lovely visitors who would bring me goodies and treats and occasionally wine. And I made a new friend, a, a lady, a neighbor who doesn't speak much English, but she, she checked on me often and brought me treats every time. And those shenanigan sisters meant that I could communicate my problems and request things. A lanyard for my keys and phone around my neck was a simple yet liberating idea at the time. It meant I didn't have to worry about where they were while balancing on crutches. And a plastic stool for the shower made me stop worrying about slipping and falling over again. And the tea-making stuff was put in the lounge so I could make a cuppa whenever I needed it. And one by one, my worries were fading. As far as the surgeon is concerned, I'm recovered. I don't feel 100% recovered, if I'm honest. My ankle is a weird shape. I still have a slight limp. But the love and support of my family and children made me realize I am not alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. We are very pleased that Leslie's feeling better and ready for more shenanigans. We really do get by with a little help from our friends. If you'd like to learn how to tell your best story, get in touch through the website at hongkongstories.com. Now with the story that was first published in July 2019, here is Shavya. So my parents' 25th wedding anniversary just went past this December. And to celebrate, they invited their close friends and family to Vietnam, Da Nang, for a weekend getaway. Uh... Their guest list comprised of about 35 couples, almost 70 people. And uh, we hadn't hired a wedding or event organizer. And I'm the only child of my parents. So it fell upon me to, you know, party plan, bookings, you know, food, decorations, hospitality, just making sure that everyone had a really good time. Now... Vietnam in December is the rainy season. We were hoping that the weekend that we went, it would be sunny. Yeah, it, it wasn't. <laughs> it was pouring buckets. But it wasn't so much of a problem because most of our events were in the hotel. So it was indoors uh, and our guests were very, very cool. But this one particular, particular night, I had 
booked a restaurant for dinner uh, at a small town 20 minutes away from Danang called Hoi An Village. The restaurant informs me that because of the rain, the village has taken on too much water and is now flooded. And the three 25-seater buses I had booked to take us there uh, could not drop us at the restaurant. It would have to drop us outside the village, 15 minutes away from the destination. I called up a restaurant. I asked them if they're still open. They said they are and that the 70 persons menu had already been prepared. What do I do? I had paid a deposit for the menu. I had booked the buses and I had no other arrangements for 70 people in such a short amount of time. So I thought, what the hell? The show must go on. So I had all the guests congregate in the reception, piled them onto the buses, and off we went. We reached our drop-off point in a small boutique shop. People were chatting amongst themselves, you know, having a good time reveling in the party from the previous days. I nervously speak up. Hey, everyone, this is not the destination. Our restaurant is 15 minutes away from here, and it's flooded, so... Let's walk in a straight line in an orderly fashion. <laughs> they look outside, back at me. Look outside, back at me. Complete disbelief. I start walking. Couples are following me, one by one. Big umbrella between each couple. The... Now, if you've ever been to Hoi An, you would know that it is a very beautiful little town. And if you haven't, let me tell you, it's gorgeous. The streets are lined with glowing paper lanterns. Uh, on either side of the streets, there are small shops selling uh, homemade paper hats, sandals, clothes, souvenirs. Um, and there are rickshaws and riverboats taking tourists around, uh, around the bustling you know, little town. And hawkers on every street corner selling barbecued meat, night market style. Now... It was not like that when we got there. We had a ka tu ni hai water filled with grass and debris. Uh, there were nobody on the streets. It was pretty dark, save for a few street lights and a few local uh, on their scooters. I would be anticipating skeletons to pop up at any corner. So we just kept on walking. I had a paper map with a crudely drawn route map mapped on it. I didn't want to pull out my phone at this point because fall in the water and there it's gone. So I'd be checking every street corner, making sure we're going the right way. And I'd look at the faces of my guests. They'd be walking slowly, single file, dragging their feet along the water, misery on their faces. At one point I thought, Hmm, this must be what prison feels like. <laughs> I was hoping that they'd bust into a prison song. Cold chills, rainy night, walking, searching for light, soaking, shirt and tie, just ain't feeling right. Now, while, I, while we were walking, there were gaps emerging in, in the line. 
So I would be hurdling back and forth along the water, making sure that everyone was going the right way and keeping spirits up. Five minutes more, just five minutes more. Keep walking, just five minutes more. I had no idea. <laughs> I was just, we were just walking, praying, hoping to see some light. After a few minutes, across the Hoi An River Bridge, there it was, a white, glistening light. There it is. There it is, the restaurant. There it is. People would up their pace, hoping to get into the restaurant as quickly as possible. And as soon as everyone piled in, there was an air of relief and a sudden insatiable hunger. People dug into their food and drinks like we were refugees coming out of a storm. And it was finally getting peaceful and happy. People were singing and dancing and having a good time. But it wasn't to last because we would have to get back out there, back to the buses. So I tell people, let's go. We line up, couple by couple, big umbrella between them. This was an exodus, and I was their Moses, <laughs> leading my people to freedom. Only difference was that I couldn't part water. That would have been very helpful. So off we go into the dark, murky, cold, wet hell and just keep on walking. Now, I ditched my paper map soaking as it was. It was already torn. I figured that I would just retrace my steps and we would reach the bus. Yeah, unsurprisingly, my cockiness got the better of me and we took a wrong turn. We ended up outside the village, just not where the buses were. It was this big intersection, no more flood, but still pouring heavily. There were a few cabs around the area, so I quickly asked one of them, hey, could you please direct our buses to this place? And I, and I put some of our older guests into the cabs to go off to the uh, hotel. Uh, after 10 minutes of waiting, people were starting to get miserable again. Um, but soon enough, off in the distance, three pairs of headlights and a roaring V6 engine coming closer. Salvation. Those the buses. So I piled people back in one by one. And I was the last to get in. I was expecting, you know, miserable faces full of hatred. Because, I mean, these people had just come away from India to get away to live a safe and sheltered life, right? But when I got in, they were smiling, laughing even. One of the uncles told me that it had reminded them of when they were young and when they were walking to school. It was really sweet. I felt really proud. I mean, all things considered. So off we went back to home. Not singing prison songs this time. More happy Indian songs. If you'd like, I can sing the song I, I sung in the bus. It's in Hindi. I sang. Papa kehte hain bada naam karega. Beta hamara aisa kaam karega. Magar ye to 
कोई ना जाने के मेरी मंजिल है कहाँ Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>